Open our eyes, gracious Lord, as we turn to your word. Help us understand what is being said and prepare our hearts to be changed. Amen. I'm going to invite Grace up now to read Isaiah 7, 1 to 9. When Ahaz, son of Jotham, the son of Uzziah, was king of Judah, King Rezin of Aram and Pekah, son of Ramalia, king of Israel, marched up to fight against Jerusalem, but they could not overpower it. Now the house of David was told, Aram has allied itself with Ephraim, so the hearts of Azar and his people were shaken, as the trees of the forest are shaken by the wind. Then the Lord said to Isaiah, Go out, you and your son, Shear Jephthah, to meet Ahaz at the end of the aqueduct of the upper pool, on the road to the launderer's field. Say to him, be careful, keep calm and don't be afraid. Do not lose heart because of the two smoldering stubs of firewood, because of the fierce anger of Rezin and Aram and of the son of Ramalia. Aram, Ephraim and Ramalia's sons have plotted your ruin, saying, let us invade Judah, let us tear it apart and divide it among ourselves and make the son of Seville king over it. Yet this is what the Sovereign Lord says. It will not take place, it will not happen, for the head of Aram is Damascus, and the head of Damascus is only resin. Within 65 years, Ephraim will be too shattered to be a people. The head of Ephraim is Samaria, and the head of Samaria is only Ramalia's son. If you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. Great to see you here at the EU public meeting. Have you ever had that experience of underestimating somebody? I was sitting in a lecture theatre as a first year student studying IT here at Sydney Uni. It wasn't this lecture theatre, but it was one just across there next door. I was sitting in that, because that was the lecture theatre that we had our, our programming lectures in, in first year. And the guy who we had as a lecturer, he was fantastic, he was really excellent. Uh, it was really, really interesting, but then he announced one day, oh, I can't actually come to next week's lecture, but we've got this guest in who's here from the States. He's going to come and give a guest lecture to you guys. We're just a bunch of first years. We don't know anything, right? We're going, oh, yeah, cool, whatever. Anyway, our normal lecturer, he always turned up to lecture in a three-piece suit, which was interesting, I guess. <laughs> but the guest lecturer who turned up the next week, he looked like the real the real sort of stereotypical old IT guy. So he turned up and he had, he was bald head, big, big, seriously bushy beard. You know, he'd been cultivating that baby for a long time. <laughs> and he was wearing jeans and a white T-shirt and he had glasses on and he had some sort of weird computer thing on the T-shirt. You know, he was the, he was the full package. And he gave this talk... It was just a one-off lecture. It was, it was pretty interesting, I guess, but we didn't know who he was and he had a funny American accent and we, we just didn't really pay any attention whatsoever. We probably actually paid less attention than we normally would in that lecture, right? Because it's just a guest lecture. It's not going to be examined, so you just chat away to the person next to you. We completely underestimated that guy because it was literally only years later that I worked out who he was. He told us his name. The lecturer told us his name. And I'm going to tell you his name, and it will mean nothing to you unless you're deep in IT law, right? <laughs> if you're deep in IT history and I give you his name, then you Google his name and you'll go, seriously, you met that guy? Yeah, I met him. I met him. His name's Ken Thompson. You go, yeah, 
You don't, I, know, I know you don't know who that is, right? So you Google it and look it up, right? He, he basically invented the Unix operating system, which is basically runs your Mac and runs everything else. Well, he, he was, he's a legend, but he gave this... We had no idea who he was. He gave this lecture. We asked basically no questions, and then we left. We had him in the room. We could have asked him anything. Like, it would have been fascinating. We completely underestimated that guy. And as a consequence of underestimating him, it affected how we related to him. It affected how we treated him. It affected how he could bless us, actually. What we would gain from him. So, my question to you today is, have you underestimated the one true living God? Have you underestimated the one true living God? Over these first couple of weeks in the EU public meeting, we've been looking at the beginning section of this Old Testament book in the Christian Bible, the book of Isaiah, and the title I sort of gave this series is God Uncovered because we learn lots of things in these opening chapters, but the, the main thing that is revealed to us in these opening chapters of chapters of the book of Isaiah is, well, the one true living God reveals himself to us. God is uncovered as we read this part of the Bible. And we saw how God is unexpected in week one, in some of his responses to people. He's unexpected. We saw last week that he's uncompromising in his holiness and his mercy. Today, I want to ask you the question, are you underestimating him? Because that will affect, if you are underestimating him, that will play out in every day of your life in your decisions, it'll play out in your interactions, it'll play out in the way you see things. And in particular today, I want to know whether you're underestimating his sovereign power. Are you underestimating his personal presence with you? And have you underestimated his passion, his zeal to bless you? That's what we're going to be exploring today. Now, how are we going to do this? We're going to be looking at a section of Isaiah from Isaiah chapter 7 through to chapter 12. So, it's quite a few chapters, but don't worry. Next week, we're doing chapter 13 through to chapter like 27 or something crazy. So, it's more. But this section from Isaiah 7 through to Isaiah 12 takes you on an emotional journey as a reader because it starts with fear and it ends with a song of joy. It's an emotional journey from fear to a song of joy. And we're going to try to track that out a little bit in the little time that we have. But how... uh, You've got your Bible there. Let's get into it. Maybe open up your Bible to Isaiah chapter 7, which we had read for us. Or maybe look on with a person next to you, call it up on your phone. It really will help as I flick through a couple of different passages here to make this clear to you. Notice how the chapter starts. Isaiah chapter 7 verse 1. When Ahaz, son of Jotham, the son of Uzziah, was king of Judah... Now pause there for a moment. You may remember from the very first verse of this whole book of Isaiah, Isaiah is a prophet of the one true living God and he tells us that he was a prophet during the reigns of four kings, starting with Uzziah. He started his prophetic work in the year that King Uzziah died. And then... Uzziah's son was Jotham and Jotham's son was Ahaz. This event that we're reading about is happening in the reign of Ahaz, Uzziah's grandson. So, when Ahaz, son of Jotham, the son of Uzziah, was king of Judah, here he is here, 
I've drawn a little picture of him for you. Here is Ahaz. He is king in Judah. And by the way, what's the capital city of Judah? Anyone remember? Correct, Jerusalem. There's Ahaz. What happened to Ahaz and the people in Judah? King Rezan of Aram and Pekah, son of Romalia, king of Israel, marched up to fight against Jerusalem, but they could not overpower it. So, we've got two other kings. King Rezan of Aram, the capital city in Aram, which is modern-day Syria, is Damascus. And King Pekah, who throughout most of these chapters is actually known by his father's name, he's called the son of Ramalia. He is king in the northern the old northern kingdom of Israel and the capital city there is Samaria. Now, why am I putting all of these names on the board? It's because as you read through these chapters, Isaiah will use all these different proper nouns. Right? So if you want to make sense of it, you need to know who's king, where, and what's the capital city, and like just, just to play it out for you, okay? And what's he telling you? That Pekah and Rezin together have joined forces against Ahaz and the nation of Judah. Now, I've never been in charge of a country, neither of you. But can you imagine for a moment being Prime Minister of Australia or being President of a country or King or Queen and you're President or Head of this country and then two other countries simultaneously declare war on your country. Do you think that would be an easy day for you as King or as President or as Queen or as Prime Minister? No, that's going to be a fairly stressful day, right? You're not going to sit back. I mean, maybe if Tasmania decide to invade Australia. Yeah, okay. Give it a good shot. Go for it. Um, but, but really, you're going to freak out, right? It's, that's, a, that's a full-on scary day, isn't it? And what was the effect? Notice here, verse 2. Now, the house of David... Now, Ahaz comes from David's line, so it's talking about him here. The house of David was told, Aram has allied itself with Ephraim... You need to know that Israel was sometimes called Ephraim. The house of Aram has allied itself with Ephraim, so the hearts of Ahaz and his people were shaken, as the trees of the forest are shaken by the wind. It was a really, really windy day a couple of days ago and there's a park out the back of my place and I could sit there in the lounge room and watch the trees and they're they massive, massive trees and the wind was really pushing through it and you see them. That's what was going on in their hearts. They were really worried, really scared. This is fear. These countries, they've declared war on us. They're about to invade. What are we going to do? Well, what are they going to do? Have a look, verse 3. Then the Lord said to Isaiah, Go out, you and your son, Sheer Jashup, 
sheer jasper. That's a funny. Have you got your Bible there? You can see if you've got a little footnote. Mine's got a little footnote there. It tells me what sheer jasper means. It means literally a remnant will return. Isaiah had named his kid a remnant will return. Hey, a remnant will return. Tidy your bedroom, will you? Turn off that device, a remnant will return. He, that's what he called his kid. Why? Why would you call your kid a remnant will return? Well, actually, it appears that he had been um, instructed or at least it was a prophetic sign to the nation as a whole of the promises of God. That no matter what would befall them, no matter how bad God's judgment on them might be in any particular moment, a remnant will return. It was a sign of hope, actually, this son. He has another son, if you read through these chapters, he's given a different name. That's a different name, which is basically take the spoils and plunder the goods. That's not, and that's not a happy name. That's an, actually a message of judgment. Alright, so he's got these, there's Isaiah, who's got this word from the Lord, he's got these two kids with these crazy names, he's, and, and he's told to take which one? He's taking a remnant will return out. Right? Why is he, to meet the king? It's, it's a message, right? It's a message. And it's backed up by what the Lord says through Isaiah. He says, Go out, you and your son, Shear Jeshub, to meet Ahaz at the foot of the aqueduct of the upper pool on the road to the washman's field. Say to him, Be careful, keep calm, and don't be afraid. What's Ahaz to do? These two come to Do nothing. Keep calm. Take a chill pill. Don't be afraid. He's feeling scared, but he's told not to. Just relax. Do nothing. Notice what also then the Lord says. The Lord starts doing a little bit of trash talking. Say to him, do not lose heart, halfway through verse 4, do not lose heart because of these two smouldering stubs of firewood. That's how he's talking down these two guys, right? Don't be afraid of these two smouldering stubs of firewood because of the fierce anger of Rezin and Aram and of the son of Ramalia. Aram, Ephraim and Ramalia's son have plotted your ruin, saying, let us invade Judah, let us tear it apart and divide it among ourselves and make the son of Tobiel king over it. So what were these two kings, why did they want to invade Judah? Well, welcome to a little bit of geopolitical sort of machinations of the 8th century B.C., Okay, the, who was the big superpower in the 8th century BC in this part of the world? Anyone remember? Assyria, yes. They were a big superpower. Here they are. Here is Assyria. Assyria were a very big superpower, very powerful, and they were taking every country in their wake. And they were heading down towards these guys, heading west towards these guys. These two, the ancient historians tell us, that Aram and Israel decided their best bet to resist Assyria was if they could leverage Judah. If they could use Judah's resources, maybe use Judah's geographical position as part of a defence against Assyria. But Judah refused to join them. And so these two go, well, you know what? We need you. So we're going to come in, get rid of you, put in our own puppet king 
so that we have control over this land as well, and then we'll be able to stand against Assyria. That was their plan. Ahaz is freaking out. The Lord says, don't worry, just relax, do nothing. Why are you worried about these two smouldering sticks of firewood? Have a look what the Lord then says down in verse 7. Yet this is what the Sovereign Lord says. It will not take place, it will not happen. For the head of Aram is Damascus, and the head of Damascus is only resin. Within 65 years, Ephraim will be too shattered to be a people. The head of Ephraim is Samaria, and the head of Samaria is only Ramalia's son. If you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. See, Ahaz has a bit of a challenge here, right? He's fearful, understandably. The Lord says, but you don't need to be afraid. Do nothing, just trust me. Trust me, it won't happen. What they're planning, it won't happen. Just do nothing. Can you imagine that? As Ahaz meets with his war cabinet, if you were in charge of a country, hearing the two other countries we're about to invade and your war cabinet meets, and they say, what are we going to do? How are we going to... And you say, that's all right, I've had a word from the Lord. Do nothing. Just be relaxed. It's not going to happen. Really? Now, the Lord knows that that's a hard message to believe and so he offers a sign. Verse 10, again the Lord spoke to Ahaz, ask the Lord your God for a sign, whether in the deepest depths or in the highest heights. The Lord knows that that's a tough message to sort of trust, right, to have faith in. So he says, that's okay, ask me for a sign. What do you want me to do? Do you want the sun to go backwards? Do you want the moon to come up twice in a night? Do you want the, do you want the sea to part? Do you want the fleece left out to be wet and the ground to be dry or the other way around? What, whatever you like, you ask, I know it's a hard message, I'll give it to you. Right? The Lord is, is encouraging him to what? Stand in his faith. If you do not stand in your faith, he says, you will not stand at all. Now Ahaz has a choice. He can give way to fear or he can stand in trust, stand in faith. That's always, the, that's always the choice, actually. Give way to fear, sell out to fear, or actually just stand in faith on the word and promises of God. That was Ahaz's choice. That's your choice too, isn't it? You're not arrayed with various countries sort of bearing down on you. But we've all got fears, right? I don't know what your particular fears are at the moment. Some people, maybe here today, maybe your life outside of this room is pretty complicated, to put it mildly. And maybe there, maybe you've got real fears. Or maybe your fears are not so much about today, but maybe they're about what's, what might come, because who knows what will come. Maybe it's fears about what will happen to your family. Or maybe it's fears about, will you be able to get a job at this end of this year when you finish uni? Maybe it's fears about, you know, I've come from a family that's really struggled and it's complicated and I just, I'm worried, I'm fearful that that will be my life. I don't want that to be my life and I want, to, I want to do everything I can to prevent that being my life, that dysfunctionality, that poverty. Are you worried about illness? Are you fearful about death? If not yours, maybe those close to you. We're beset by all sorts of fears. What about the fear, will someone love me for who I am? What about the fear, will I actually be okay when I come face to face with God? We're all beset by fears. 
And we've got the same choice, right? Are you going to give way to fear? Or are you going to stand in your faith? Because if you will not stand in your faith, you won't stand at all, says the Lord. What did Ahaz do? Well, it's interesting. The Lord says, right, I know this is a hard thing. He says, ask me for a sign, anything. And what does Ahaz say? Verse 12. But Ahaz said, I will not ask. I will not put the Lord to the test. Oh, that sounds so pious, doesn't it? That sounds like that's right. The one time you should ask for a sign is when the Lord says, ask for a sign, right? (laughs) Ask for a sign, anything. No, 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 Lord, I won't ask. Actually, what you're seeing there is a little insight into the heart of Ahaz. That is, he did not trust the Lord. He did not respect the Lord. The Lord says, just ask for a sign. That's a pure gift of grace, right, and kindness to him. He says, no, no, I don't want that. And what did Ahaz choose to do? Well, you've got your Bible there. Why don't you flick to 2 Kings, chapter 16, and you can read the account of what Ahaz does instead. 2 Kings, chapter 16, verse 7 to 9. The beginning of the chapter goes through the same sort of story that we've just been, I've just been outlining for you, but you get to verse 7 and you can see, he says, Ahaz sent messages to say to Tiglath-Pilsia, king of Assyria, I am your servant and vassal. Come up and save me out of the hand of the king of Aram and the king of Israel who are attacking me. And Ahaz took the silver and gold found in the temple of the Lord and in the treasuries of the royal palace and sent it as a gift to the king of Assyria. The king of Assyria complied by attacking Damascus and capturing it. He deported its inhabitants to Kerr and put resin to death. So what was Ahaz... Chill out, don't worry, it won't happen, just stand some firm in faith. No, he writes to the king of Assyria and says... uh, I'll be your servant. I'll be your puppet. I'll just do whatever you want. We will just give you... In fact, look, I'm going into the temple of our God, the one true living God, taking out all the goodies out of that temple and out of my royal palace and giving them all to you. King of Assyria's got to be saying, man, that was the easiest takeover I've ever done, ever. Did nothing and they just gave me everything. He completely sells out because of his fear. He goes for a political solution. It's a... What's more, it probably seems smart, right? It's a smart geopolitical move. Align yourself with the bigger bully to get rid of the younger bullies, the smaller bullies. And what happens? Well, the king of Assyria, he duly comes in and yes, wipes out Aram. When did all this happen? Well, the whole situation started in 734 BC and two years later, in 732 BC, Assyria came in and knocked out Damascus, knocked out Aram and put Rezin to death. Ten years later, they continued on. They moved in and took out Israel in 722 BC. So you look at it and you think, well, actually a pretty smart move from Ahaz. Look at that. They survived. Except that what did the Lord say? If you will not stand in your faith, you won't stand at all. And sure enough, what happened? Well, in 701, Assyria wasn't satisfied. And so Assyria came against Judah. You say, oh, come on, they had an alliance, you know? You've never played Risk? 
Like, you know, in risk, you're thinking, I'm going down quick. We'll form an alliance and it works for a little while. Then the person, the more powerful person, just goes, and just comes in and takes you out. Like risk, like life, right? That's exactly what happened. In fact, you can read the account of it there, back to Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 7, looking at verse 5, sorry, chapter 8, Isaiah chapter 8, verse 5, the Lord has a message against Israel, right? Against Israel because of their refusal to worship him. The Lord spoke to me again because this people, speaking about the northern kingdom of Israel, has rejected the gently flowing waters of Shiloh and rejoices instead over Rezin and the son of Ramalia. Therefore the Lord is about to bring against them the mighty flood waters of the river, the king of Assyria with all his pomp. It will overflow all its channels, run over all its banks and sweep on into Judah, swirling over it, passing through it and reaching up to the neck. And that's what happened in 701 when Assyria came in. They took the whole land of Judah right up to the city walls of Jerusalem and barring an incredible deliverance from the one true living God, which we'll come to later in the book of Isaiah, they would have been entirely wiped out. But guess what? The Lord preserved a remnant in that moment, right? She Jesha. If you don't stand in your faith, you won't stand at all. You can see the analysis of this situation if you then move on into chapter 8 because the, word, the Lord has a particular word to Isaiah. You can see the way the people are going badly and he has a word of encouragement for Isaiah or warning to Isaiah. Chapter 8, this time verse 11. The Lord spoke to me with his strong hand upon me, warning me not to follow the way of his people. He said, do not call conspiracy everything that these people call conspiracy. Do not fear what they fear. Do not dread it. The Lord Almighty is the one you are to regard as holy. He is the one you are to fear. He is the one you are to dread and he will be a sanctuary. But for both houses of Israel, he will be a stone that causes men to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. And for the people of Jerusalem, he will be a trap and a snare. Many of them will stumble. They will fall and be broken. They will be snared and captured. Bind up the testimony and seal up the law among my disciples. I will wait for the Lord who is hiding his face from the house of Jacob. I will put my trust in him. That's Isaiah's response. And then he says, Here am I and the children the Lord has given me. We are signs and symbols in Israel from the Lord Almighty who dwells on Mount Zion. When men come to you, to consult mediums or tell you to consult mediums and spirits, spiritists who whisper and mutter, should not a people inquire of their God? Why consult the dead on behalf of the living? To the law and the testimony. If they do not speak according to this word, they have no light of dawn. Distressed and hungry, they will roam through the land. See what he's saying here. The Lord's word to Isaiah is, don't Fear what they fear. Actually, I'm the one you're to fear. The beginning of wis- fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Fear me, I will be your sanctuary. And also, don't listen, don't go to the, the wisdom that they're going to. He says, instead, the law and the testimony, the revealed word of God, is the place you go for your reassurance. And this is a bit of our problem. 
like the people of Judah and like Ahaz, we fear the wrong things. We fear the wrong things. We seek security in the wrong places. We seek wisdom in the wrong places. We listen to the wrong sources. I'll just give you one example. Maybe you're a bit fearful about how you're going to make your way in the world. How are you going to provide enough money for you, your family, whoever the Lord blesses you with? How are you, how are you going to save up enough money so that you can retire at 57 and have a life of luxury and comfort, travelling the world every six months? Like, How are you going to do that? Because that's your big worry. right? Well, it's probably not your big worry, but it's a pretty common goal of a lot of people once they leave uni. If you're trying to do that, then what you will do is you will store up as much as you can in your superannuation fund. You're going, yeah, big deal. That's just sensible, right? Except that that's not what Jesus says. So in places like Luke chapter 12, he says crazy things like, why are you worried about what you will wear or what you will eat? Your Father in heaven knows you need them. Seek first his kingdom and those things will be given to you. In fact, sell your possessions and give it to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven. It's like the worst financial advice ever coming from the Lord Jesus. Who are you going to listen to? In light of the fears of the future, who, where will your security come? Is it going to come through you diligently saving up? Or is it going to come by standing in your faith? Your Heavenly Father knows you need these things. Seek first His kingdom and they will be provided for you. We so easily sell out because of our fears. We listen to the world and not to the Lord. That's always the challenge. How are you going to respond when fears come at you? Well, go back to chapter 7 of Isaiah. I skipped over one little bit which I think is really helpful here. He said in chapter 7 of verse 8, For the head of Aram is Damascus, and the head of Damascus is only resin. And then he says, verse 9, The head of Ephraim is Samaria, and the head of Samaria is only Romalia's son. Notice what he's saying here, right? He says, the head of Aram, the country, is Damascus, the capital city, and the head of the capital city, Damascus, is only resin, the king, right? Country, capital city, king. Then he says, and the head of Ephraim is Samaria, and head of Samaria is just Ramalia's son. What's the implication for Judah? Do the same thing. The head of Judah is Jerusalem, and the head of Jerusalem is... Well, he's speaking to Ahaz. The head of Jerusalem is not Ahaz. Do you remember Isaiah 6? Just the chapter before? Isaiah is there in the temple in Jerusalem. The temple is at the very top of Jerusalem. He's in the temple. And in the vision he has in the temple, there's the one true living God who's sitting above the temple. Who's the head in Jerusalem? (laughs) The Lord. Isn't that the implication? Why are you worried about these guys? The head of Damascus is just resin. Who's the head of Jerusalem? It's the Lord, the one true living God. And he's head not just of Jerusalem, he's he's the one true living God. He's head over everything because he made it all. He's the head over the king of Assyria, for goodness sake. 
Why are you worried? Stop underestimating my sovereign power. If you stand firm in your, if you don't stand firm in your faith, you won't stand firm at all. Now, if you, I hope you go away and read the rest of these chapters, right? Chapter seven through to chapter twelve. But what you'll see is that God doesn't just reaffirm His sovereign power; He reaffirms two other things. I'm going to just point these out to you so you can trace it through. He He reaffirms his personal presence with them, with his people. And you see in chapter 7, the Lord says, well, Ahaz, you refuse to ask for a sign. I'm going to give you a sign anyway. What's the sign? He says there in verse 14 of chapter 7, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will be with a child and will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel, which my footnote says, God with us. It's a sign that is meant to communicate to them that God is with them. Now, this sign, a virgin will have a child, call him Emmanuel. If you've been around Christian things for a while, then you go, oh, I've heard that before. That's used in the New Testament about Jesus. It is. I suspect here that when this word was first given to Isaiah, its first fulfilment was actually the, the, the virgin is, I think, a reference to Jerusalem. And the, the son or the child is a reference to the faithful remnant, the remnant that God will preserve because that's how it's used in Isaiah 66 later on. You can go and look that up later. But from a New Testament perspective, looking back under the inspiration that God gave, they were able to say, but the final fulfilment of that promise was actually when God came amongst us in the person of Jesus Christ. So God promises his personal presence with them and with you through Jesus of Nazareth. What was Jesus' parting words at the end of Matthew 28? And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Jesus is God's personal presence with you. Now how is he with you? Is he sitting next to you on the bus? Is he standing there on the train with you when you walk home? No, I think the the fulfilment of that promise is in the Spirit of Jesus poured out into your heart. He's with you by His Spirit, active in your everyday waking moment. He promises His personal presence here in chapter 7. He does the same in chapter 9, where He says, I'm going to raise up a new king from David's line, one who will come from the land of the Gentiles. And He says the same thing in chapter 11, where He says, I'm going to, yes, bring a new king from David's line who will be full of the Spirit. So He promises His personal presence presence with his people. It's not just that God is powerful, it's that he's with you in the middle of your fears. And it's not just that. Because he could be powerful and he could be with you, but is he really, really good? Does he want what's best for you? Yes, because if you trace it through in these chapters, it's clear his passion, his zeal to bless his people. Because in those promises made about the Messiah to come, in chapter 9 and chapter 11, the promises are incredible. They are exalted. It's not just about, I'll preserve a people here in Jerusalem. It's, no, I'm going to fix everything. I'm going to fix all the problems in creation. I'm going to fix all the problems in the world of of war. I'm going to bring peace. Peace between people. Peace between animals. Peace between... A huge new picture 
of God blessing his creation. That is the sort of what he promises in chapter 9 and chapter 11. That's what he's promised to do. So what helps you stand firm in your faith in the midst of the fears? It's remembering God's sovereign power. Remembering his personal presence with you in Christ by his word and by his spirit. And it's remembering his passion, his zeal, his commitment to bless you. And you see there that nowhere more clear than in the death and resurrection of Jesus for you. What greater sign do you need? Stand firm in your faith. Well, you won't stand at all. Thanks, Ryan. If you want to pray with me now. Lord God, you're above all else. You are the head of Jerusalem and Assyria and are the head of our world today. Help us not to underestimate your sovereign power you've given us through your personal presence through Jesus. And your passion to bless us is never ending. Help us not to forget this as we stand firm in our faith. Amen.